In Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Join us in this conversation as we discuss following Jesus, leadership, and doing life with others. Welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. And now back to our conversation with Dr. Stephen Machia. We had you come here to speak specifically to crafting a rule of life, um, but I know you've written some, what, 14 books over uh, your career? Yes, 14. Um, broken and Whole looks uh, very interesting uh, mm-hmm. to me, uh, being a broken man myself. Mm-hmm. That's how I... When you, and I asked you, how do you want me to introduce you? And you said, how about a broken man? And I thought, okay, <laughs> I, 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 I can do that. Uh-huh. Uh, and then also Becoming a Healthy Team, uh, some of the books you've written, uh, Becoming a Healthy Church, a healthy, uh, Becoming a Healthy Disciple. Right. This uh, motif of health and, and, and construction here uh, I think is interesting, especially what you already talked about, your house, of seeing the metaphor of built, not only building and reclaiming a house, but building right. and reclaiming a life. Right. And so wh- where did you um, come up with this concept of crafting a rule of life? Well, crafting a rule of life came later after some of those other previous texts that you're referring to. Broken and Whole came after um, crafting a rule of life. But I've been concerned about spiritual health and vitality for a long time. It's just been a part of my story and part of my research and my writing. And when I talk about health, I talk about not perfect health but an awareness of the place you are in your health. So for example, our our son Nathan uh, was born with a congenital defect in his right leg. He had 13 surgeries on his right leg. Mm. He was at Children's Hospital in Boston over 250 times. Goodness. Thousands of x-rays on my son were taken over the years. We were trying to preserve the right leg, basically. So very unhealthy right leg, but healthy perspective on an unhealthy part of his body. Uh-huh. And so when I talk about health, I'm talking about an awareness of the reality of your condition and the need for us to have people around us that plant seeds of hope. When we first went to the doctor for Nathan as a young child, as a year old child, our first, the doctor said, well, it's a very rare condition that he has. Just give him his childhood. When he's four, five, six, maybe uh, that bone is that bone's going to break. So what we'll do is we'll just cut it off we'll put a prosthetic limb on and we'll keep fitting him for prostheses the rest of his life. And we were in shock as a young young parents, just like, you got to be kidding me. You're telling us now that in a few years we're going to have to cut his leg off? Mm. It was a shock to our system. I bet. Very difficult piece of news to hear. I went back to our pediatrician. I said, we need a new doctor. <laughs> <laughs> this doctor had no bedside manner and he told us horrible news. Mm. So he sent us to another doctor and that second doctor said the exact same. Mm. It's very rare. Give him his childhood. We'll have to cut it off. We can fit him for prosthetic limbs the rest of his life. And no offense to anybody that has a prosthetic limb. I think it's a miracle that we can even provide prosthetic limbs for people that don't have an arm or a leg or gets cut off in warfare or whatever. I'm all for that. But as a young parent, we wanted something else. We wanted to know if there's anything else we could do. And I said to that second doctor, you mean to tell me there's nothing you can do for him? He's like, well, we don't know what else we could do. Eight o'clock that night, that doctor called our house and said, your question has bothered me all day long. Wow. There's got to be something we can do to help your son. So we signed up for our doctor, Dr. John Emmons. He became a family hero to ours. For 17 years, he did all these surgeries. He and his team did all these surgeries to try to save this leg. And my son today at 34 years old, he still has his right leg. How about that? Again, nothing against those who have to go the other direction. What did John Emmons place in my heart and my 
my wife's heart, hope. He said, in the condition that you are in, let's try to help him. Mm -hmm. So when I talk about spiritual health, when I talk about church health, when I talk about disciple and team health, we must begin with acknowledging the reality of the ills that exist in the church, in the disciple, in the team. And let's note them. Let's 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 talk That's about. It's hard them. for leaders to do. It is. It? I mean, it would be like you and your wife saying, "Oh, this the leg will be fine. Let's you know right. go out and play. Let's just yeah, exactly. Let's ignore it. Yeah. What we do is we say, no, let's not ignore it. Let's acknowledge the reality of the condition of your heart and soul, or the condition of your church, or the condition of your team. But let's take from there. Let's let's offer some words of hope that can help us go from where we are. To where God's inviting us into. So when it came time to write Crafting a Rule of Life, I'm not saying write a perfect rule of life. No, it's look at your life as it is today and say, God, how do you want to refine and reshape and remold the current existence of my life? Hmm. Physically, spiritually, relationally, missionally, financially. Is it something like um, some people would just set life goals? Is that kind of... Sort of, it is, but what these are, are God-directed initiatives. So they could be goals, but goals that are actually where you interview the Holy Spirit about. So they're just not some you concoct in your head, these are God-led. Exactly, that's the difference. These are Spirit-empowered rhythms and relationships that create redeem, sustain, or transform your life in mm. God. And this uh, comes from the early work of, um, of Benedict, right? Yes. Uh, Benedict, in the year 400, 500, uh, is when he uh, was a part of the early church. He, he was a seminary student in Rome. He was trying to be serious about his walk with God, but there were a bunch of party-spirited colleagues and friends that were with him. Again, this is the year 400, 500. It's just a long time ago. So in those first decades of the church, he was one who really wanted to get serious for God. So he left his little seminary in Rome, walked 30 plus miles east. To pic- a- you know what I'm picturing? I'm picturing this um, kind of Christian spiritual animal house. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. I just see John Belushi in the, you know, all that. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so he's got to get out of there. And- he's got to get out of there because they, they're just more interested in the party spirit. So the environment he was in was actually hindering his spiritual growth and development. Exactly. And, and it's not like they were, you know, cannibals. They, yeah. these, were nor- these were people at a, at a school trying to study as well, but they just weren't serious. Yeah. They just were, they were back to the illustration of the water pressure. They were satisfied with just a little bit of God. Mm-hmm. And he wanted more. He I'm so wanted... glad nobody in the church is like that anymore, no. <laughs> or in ministry, <laughs> or <clears throat> yeah. Don't you think, Mark? We have this is kind of a similar situation oh, these days. My. Absolutely. The, you know, the churches are filled with um, yeah. not yours, but uh, uh, yeah, every right. other church but yours is filled with sure. people that just they just are there. You know, obligatorily. You know, it's their responsibility. It's what they were raised to do. Yeah, and I'm just not, I don't want to be mean about that. I'm not, I don't think it's as much rejection as it is ignorance. We just don't know what we don't don't know. know. Exactly. We haven't been invited in. You have this great relationship with God. That's great for you, um, but I don't. So, you know, that's the way it is. Exactly. And I think we just need to be more uh, sensitive, more compassionate, and more invitational. Invitational is a big word for me. I'm going to invite you to consider this. I'm not going to force you to consider it. I'm just going to invite you, you know, invite you to invite you to have a prayer closet, invite you to read the scriptures slowly. I'm just going to invite you to pray 
with a listening ear rather than mm-hmm. a talkative voice. I'm just going to invite you. you know, just test these things out. So Benedict thinks he's got to get away from this environment. Yeah, too. he he makes a dramatic step, really, and so he does lives. He, in, does he quit his job or something? Oh, well, he has no he has no job <laughs> per se. He's he's living on the land, hmm. and so he goes into this cave in Subiaco, Italy, a great piece of real estate because it's just filled with health and vitality of trees and all around. And and he had, there was a monastery on the top of the hill, conveniently, and so one of the monks actually dropped with a rope dropped food down to him in his cave for him to eat. Hmm. And then people, townspeople had heard that this guy was living there. And so they came and attended to him as well, wanted to hear what he was learning. He would exit the cave and come out and speak and hmm. and relate. So he was living, but he was living in, in isolation. But he didn't stay there forever. He lived there for three years and he came out and he expounded the word in a fresh, rich way and invited people to pray together and live together. And the Benedictines are still alive today and functioning primarily because several years into that, he then started writing out his rule of life. This is how we live together. This is how we treat one another. This is how we choose our Mm. leaders. This is how we obey uh, the biblical text. This is how we fix conflict. This is when we eat our meals. I mean, it's real specific. What I love that you've done is you've taken that, um, what, 15 plus 100 year old uh, ancient Christian practice or tradition Right, and you've uh, put it into a context that we can live out today. It's a modern context of what modern, yeah, crafting our own rule of life. Right, it's taking that timeless principle of rule of life and bringing it into the 21st century. Yeah, so helpful. I'm really looking forward. I've got a group of men I disciple on Monday nights, and um, we typically are just in scripture. We don't do a lot of um, curriculum books and things Uh like that. I mean, some people do, and that's great. I used to do a lot more of that. Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of going to the biblical text now. and That's great. um, But I really think that this is going to be a direction for us to go um, in helping them craft their own rule rule of life. How have you personally seen, since you've discovered this work, been engaged in this work. I don't want to hear how you've worked with other people on it. How has this really transformed you? Yeah. Well, it began with it began with it being transformative for me <clears throat> because I needed like I was sharing earlier, I needed to recalibrate the priorities of my life. And so in direction and in conversation with some of my spiritual friends, I was just, you know, God, what are you what are you saying? What are you trying to how are you trying to get my attention? And in what areas of my life do I need some reshaping? So in crafting the first version of my rule of life, I was I filled the pages just, just with like everything. Because I was like I, I thought everything just needed to be redone. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, no, I need to go back with a highlighter and choose the things under God's guidance and under the context of key relationships. What about these particular things that I need to pay more attention to? So I highlighted and I prioritized in some of the areas that are described in the book. And ever since then, that's what I do regularly. I just had a birthday two days ago. And at my birth, thank you. at At my birthday, I do this. At the first of the year, I do this. And then I carry my rule of life around in my journal I'm constantly editing and revising and tweaking and mm-hmm. you know when our when our son got married we had a a new person enter our life Ashley so when Ashley came along I'm like how okay so how am I to be in relationship with her mm-hmm. and then when our granddaughter shows up 15 months ago how do I relate to her uh, and, trust me folks he has pictures uh, <laughs> lots he, of if, pictures yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but every time those kinds those changes occurred I need to reassess yeah you know, I, 
And so I've done a lot of that refining work over the years. And the benefit for you has been what? Focus, intentionality, knowing what I can do and what I cannot do. Hmm. what I can say yes to and what I can say no to. That's really how it's helped me. Uh, Be more intentional, more focused, more deliberative about who God made me to be and how I can be of help in Mm -hmm. this season of my life. And as I get older, I'm asking that question more often, you know, in what ways, and I'm in that right now, I'm in the middle of that shift right now. Um, I just turned 63. I'm not going to be young forever I got to figure out, okay, what's my role at at LTI? How can I be giving some of this ministry away more to the people around me? What does my role become? I I got a lot. I got more questions than than answers. Um, But I know that there's a shift coming. I know there's a redefinition emerging. And I know it's different today than when I turned 30 or when I turned 40 or even when I turned 50. Every decade uh, and in between as well has had shifts and changes that I, I I just feel like I need to pay attention to. I don't want to live in the world of assumption that it's just the same as it's always been. Yeah, and I'll tell you, so many of my colleagues, leaders, um, as you said earlier, live, are living on the fumes of yesteryear. Yeah, they are. They learned some stuff years ago. They're still applying it and just, you know, the, the, the vitality, the excitement, the space that you talked about is what's probably needed most. But that's a scary proposition to say no to current things I'm doing or to redirect my life. And it seems like this crafting a rule of life gives you a real framework that does bring that into more clarity versus just, you know, making a decision to leave the ministry and do something different or to quit your job or to move house, you know. Exactly. And I think that's what people end up doing. They, They end up making radical choices that they didn't necessarily want, but they had to do it. Yeah. You know, because they they had compounded the experiences of life without making any adaptation. Mm. So, for example, when my granddaughter came 15 months ago, I was like, I want to know her and I want her to know me. So, therefore, there's going to be changes that are going to happen just in that simple desire to know my granddaughter and have her know me. It means that we take care of her every Thursday, my wife does primarily, but on Thursdays, I try to be home. I want to be closer closer to home, and I want to devote some of that day to Brenna. Mm. When, she was, when she was first born, I... I, I I held her as she slept. I spent 45 minutes or 60 minutes just letting her sleep in my arms because mm. I just couldn't get enough of this thing. Yeah. I was a grandfather, and this was a <laughs> grandbaby of mine. This is part of my lineage. And mm-hmm. and so, I, if, if you will, I wasted, quote unquote, that 60 minutes that could have been productive in other ways, and I gave it to Brenna instead. Yeah. So if I'm going to repeatedly do that, if I want to know her as she grows up, it's going to mean other things are going to go. So I'm saying yes to being a grandfather, Mm -hmm. which means I'm going to have to say no to doing other things for other people. Yeah, and the world doesn't like that response because when the world asks, the answer needs to be yes. And uh, your burnout is irrelevant. (laughs) It is because their need is bigger. It seems that way. They want you now. And in ministry, that's really hard because most of us are in ministry because we like to be people pleasers. We like to help others. Yeah. We like to be available. It's a fuel for us, isn't it? It's it's an adrenaline for us. Mm-hmm. It, it feeds into that. Ooh, look at me! You know, I'm you know I'm needed. I'm important. Uh, yeah. We don't say it that way, but yeah. that's what's 
that's what's being fed. Yeah. Well, you are a gift, my friend. Uh, uh, you're a blessing. And um, I can speak on firsthand that we had Stephen come to our church and do this workshop um, on crafting a rule of life. And it uh, this is a spiritual mile marker for us. I think wow. we're going to look back on this and say, you know, some changes happened as a result of that or some redirection, some new awarenesses at least um, that are going to guide our people and encourage our folks. And we want to encourage you out there, no matter uh, where you're at in the world and what you're doing, um, that creating this space uh, is going to resonate uh, with, with God's purpose being lived out in your life in a clearer, more impactful way. Uh, it's not wasting time uh, at all. A waiting time is not wasted time, is it? It isn't. And so uh, I highly encourage you to look him up. How could they get in touch with you, Stephen, if they're interested in contacting you or any of your resources? LeadershipTransformations.org is our website. It's the go-to place. Uh, But if they want to know more information about Rule of Life, they can also go to ruleoflife.com, which is the um, website we put together when the book came out. Yeah. There are videos and extra resources there and samples of how others have written their their rule of life. So it's a really helpful place to go to. So yeah, those yeah. would be the two websites. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Any, um, I'm going to put you on the spot for a second. Um, any parting word of encouragement that you would have? So say there's a, there's a person out there, man or woman, they feel this call. They've been discipling others. It's messy. It's time-consuming. It's hard. <laughs> it is hard. It, it, seeing fruit doesn't come easily. We don't, we're not sure if what we're doing is actually working. And they're in the sophomore slump of that discipling mm. leadership. Mm. What, mm. what would you say to them today? That's a great question, Mark. Um, I would say that the only place in life <clears throat> where it's legitimate to be selfish is in the care and nurture of your soul. When you pay attention to the needs of your soul, first and foremost, you will then become far better equipped to selflessly serve another. If you ignore your soul, then you are going to serve a little bit too manipulatively as you come alongside another. What I have discovered is that those who really prioritize the care of the soul go to that place of deep relationship with God, knowing that God loves you infinitely, intimately, unconditionally. And when you're at a place of receptivity where God has filled you up, then you have God to give away. Hmm. But if you're not filling yourself up with God, then you are giving yourself away. There's a difference. God wants us to give ourselves away but he wants us to give ourselves away in him hmm. because he is the he is the spirit that empowers us we cannot do it on our own strength so i say to leaders and and disciples it's okay be selfish today by going into your prayer closet opening the word and being refreshed and renewed in god when you come out of that prayer closet you'll be far better equipped to serve another and you won't have that manipulative thing of them having to, you know, respond quickly or to what your wishes are. Instead, you'll have the heart of God for them, mm. which will take you to a place of listening to them, uh, coming alongside them. You don't have to fix them, but you do need to listen Thank to them. God. And by listening to them, you can listen open-handedly, more graciously. When you're coming out of that spaciousness with God, you can be far more available to others. So that's what I would say. Be a little selfish for the sake of your soul in order to learn how to be truly selfless in the service of others. Well said. And uh, what I'm going to go do is be selfish now. 
Go take care of your soul, man. <laughs> take care of my soul. Go right. meet with God. Amen. Amen. He loves you. He loves you. Oh, the best news I've ever heard. I've ever heard. Well, we hope that you were encouraged uh, by these two sessions. And um, please uh, reach out to Stephen Machia if you have any um, interest in what he is offering. Uh, we will. We do. We have a lot of interest in it and what you're doing. And uh, it's it's shaping the way we're doing discipleship here. So I can't encourage that enough. Hey, tell somebody else uh, about the 419 Disciple Maker podcast. You never know uh, who would be blessed by it or benefit from it. Also, don't forget that on 419disciplemakers.org are all kinds of free resources for you to use, tools, and, um, and videos. Get You'll be able to uh, maybe even see something from Stephen there one day uh, soon. Never know. And uh, we just want to pray God's blessing on you as you... Uh, Live out the great commandment and the great commission uh, to be a disciple who makes disciples for Jesus Christ. What you're doing is changing the world for eternity. And so thank you for listening. God bless. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Mark. God bless you all. For more information, check out our website, 419disciplemakers.org. Join us again next week as we continue our conversation on the 419 Disciple Makers podcast.